This is a Sci-Fi Rewind with Kevin Batchelder, Miles P. McLaughlin, and Scott Herzog. By late in the 21st century, the nations of the Earth were finally at peace, working together to explore and colonize the distant reaches of space. Unfortunately, we weren't alone out there. A race of non-human aliens called the Drax were claiming squatters' rights to some of the richest star systems in the galaxy. Well, they weren't going to get it without a fight. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Rewind. This is Sci-Fi Rewind number 11, I believe. I think I have that right. Mm -hmm. And my name is Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And I am Kevin Batchelder. And we are, this is a collaboration between the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and the Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV podcast. And man, Kevin, you know, I just wanted to say one of the things that I'm, I'm loving is you have this top, you have this top uh, themes thing that you're doing right now. Ah, yes. Uh, that was the idea of our esteemed editor, Brent, who loves uh, editing. So he was excited to put together this uh, countdown and we took all the votes from folks and he's doing the top 50 you know, show themes and uh, playing all of them along with comments from some of the listeners. It's it's kind of cool to kind of go back in time and hear some of these things. Yeah, I've been. I got to be honest. I haven't downloaded my podcatcher, but I've been. So, I'm working through Harry Potter seven, and that was my uh, big thing to get through that. So they've been kind of podcasts have been kind of put aside for a little bit, but I'm ready to listen to them. So can't wait. So yeah, I think we've got the uh, Sci-Fi Diner promo there in one of the episodes too. I try to pop it up the list. Oh yeah, we got to update that thing, Miles. Yeah, we should. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes we should. That was like episode 50. We put that together. and I mean, it still holds weight, but still, you know, we need to update it. Yeah, I agree. So, but <laughs> anyways, well, welcome to the show. If you've never listened to the Sci-Fi Rewind, uh, this is one show. Um, if you know Kevin if you know Kevin Batchelder, you know that he is not a fan of spoilers. But there's one show that he will give spoilers in, and it is this show because we will spoil things. <laughs> right, Kevin? That's right, folks. You, I hope you've watched Enemy Mine. If not, we're going to spoil the heck out of you. Yep. So if you just want to find out what Enemy Mine is about because, hey, it was something that you kind of heard of, you know, didn't get good reviews or whatever, and you want to check it out, you know, then fine. Do that. But if you want to watch it and then listen to our comments, we're fine with that too. won't be offended. And, hey, if you don't really care about Enemy Mine and still want to listen to us, we're here. And it'll be a, it, should be a, it should be a good evening. And by the way, Kevin, Miles is wearing a red shirt, so if we kill him off tonight, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not the one that says expendable, though. So no, um, but it's a Star Trek. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> am, am I being, am, I, am I being brave by wearing this shirt? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I bought this shirt, the cashier at the counter, she looked at me. She says, "Are you sure you really want to buy this?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what can I say? I did. Let me guess. You were at a con? No, I was at uh, Midway Comics, in New York City. Yeah, well, still. They Still, counts. they kind of knew what it was. Right, right. Oh, they, oh, oh, they definitely did, yeah. <laughs> they most definitely did. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, tonight, we are rewinding Enemy Mine. Before we get into that, we talked a little bit before the show that we thought we were going to do this time is we're going to take the top two picks. That means for mid-October, we will be rewinding Equilibrium, a Christian Bale movie, one of his early ones, I believe. Yeah. Um, and kind of a Matrix spinoff in some ways, as I remember correctly. Do you, is, that, is that your perspective of it, Kevin? Oh, goodness. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I'm yeah. going to go on 
whatever you said there, Scott. I was, it's funny, when I saw this did well in the vote, I was like, okay, it's you know time for me to do a refresher on it. Yeah, yeah. And you almost have to because it's been a while. I just remember, I remember being kind of Orwellian a little bit. It, it was. Yeah. yeah. And Maybe a little A in flux a little bit. There's kind mm-hmm. of that feel. It, yeah, definitely. I don't want to say it wasn't really post-apocalyptic. It was, I, I like. I think like you said, a little 1984-ish. We're rolling. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so that's the movie that we're rewinding. So we welcome your comments, as always, on the Rewind. You can email them at the sci-fi rewind at gmail.com, or you can just send them to tuning to sci-fi TV at any of their contact information on their site or on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast site. And we'll play your audio on the air if you send us an MP3 audio, or you can we'll read your emails. And we have – I think we're just reading emails tonight. We mm-hmm. use email comments. But. Yeah. Well, uh, let's start talking about Enemy Mine. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that when it came out did not get a heck of a lot of critical acclaim. Or a heck of a lot of money either. Or a heck of a lot of love. I mean there's mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, it got nailed by the critics, got nailed by the movie audiences. Did, mm-hmm. did you remember when this movie came out, Kevin? I'm t- I was trying to remember if I saw it in the theater or I didn't catch it till it was you know, like VHS or something. I don't think I saw it in the theater, so I don't have a lot of memories of it. Good or bad uh, in its original release. Yeah, well, this movie, and we often start with like the stats, like the money stats, right? But this movie cost over $40 million to make, all right? Brought in, I want to say it brought in about $13 million. So that's a pretty big loss on yeah. the movie. Uh, now, all I have is domestic totals, so I don't know if there was an international release. My guess is maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But forty forty million was a big chunk of change back in eighteen eighty five. Yeah, yeah, especially in eighty five dollars. Yeah, I wonder what that was really like today. Right, right. You, you just you just don't know. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Enemy Mind, because there may be some of you out there, it's just it came out in nineteen eighty five. It was a science fiction film based on the story by the same title, uh, written by Barry B. Longyear. It was produced by Twentieth Century Fox, directed by Wolfgang Peterson, who you might know from. Oh, I believe he did Troy. He did uh, – what was some of the other ones I mentioned, um, Miles? Das Boot. Oh, yes. Um, oh, Poseidon he did most recently, and I have it right here. So why am I even he-hawing around it? Uh, that he also did. He also did uh, Perfect Storm, uh, Air Force One. And so he has some pretty notable movies. Very much so. Uh, kind of in his, in, in his framework here. Uh, he uh, – and uh, it was starred Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, Bassett. Uh, oh, it was beset by production problems and had to change the director in the middle of it. And the, spy, the budget kind of spiraled out of control. And it was considered a critical and financial disappointment. Hmm. So why in the heck are we talking about this movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably because there thoughts. are a lot of serious sci-fi fans who love it. <laughs> there, there, there are. And, and I think that was – I mean we were surprised when it made the top of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't a movie that I would have gone out of the way to watch. But these are the comments. When I put up that we were going to be rewinding this tonight, these are some of the comments we got on Facebook from people that were just saying uh, – talking about it. Jeff uh, Kavari said, I love Enemy Mine. I saw it in theaters back in the day. Dennis Quaid is a man. And to this day, the line that my brothers and I still quote is, Zoomies get four, five. Uh, so, you know, quote that's still running around today. John Fraser from Think Geek, who you heard in the, who heard in the Sci-Fi Diner, says, possibly one of the most underrated sci-fi movies out there. Love that movie so much. Lou Gossett does an amazing job. And Stephen Ligon said, great flick for its day. Underrated, very underrated. Hmm. And so, yeah, my, I could- go ahead. 
No, I was going to say I got a couple of tweets back, but you know, just basically, just uh, when I mentioned we were talking about it, just saying very simply that great movie or love this one, you know, that it just it holds a good heart and heart for a lot of folks. Yeah. So I, my my question is, what gives? I mean, why why the what what has caused it to resonate among sci-fi fans that didn't with the movie audience of the day or with mm-hmm. the um, or with the critics of the day? And one of the things Miles pasted into our show notes was what other top movies were grossing that year? I mean, this is the year that Back to the Future is earning over two hundred million that year. First Back to the Future, Rambo brings in one hundred fifty. Rocky brings in Rocky Four brings in one hundred twenty eight. The Color Purple's out, and Out of Africa is also out. Uh, so these are the movies it's competing against. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did these movies have that Enemy Mind didn't? Well, Sylvester Stallone was 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 really hot back in the mid '80s. Uh, Michael J. Fox and him, him too. Um, you know, um, was Den- was Dennis Quaid unknown back then? I don't think he was. Known. No, he he, uh, yeah. he was a pretty recognizable. Yeah, you know, him and Louis mm-hmm. Gossett Jr. were you know pretty well known names even back you know back in '85. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't remember when uh, when Gossett won his uh, award there for. Uh, and I'm drawing a blank now. IAMDB is failing me. Um, the what was it? The officer and a the gentleman. There was didn't he win an award there with uh, that one? Oh, he might have. He might have. But I mean, <clears throat> and I don't know what year that one was. But no, these were decently well-known names. I mean, the only thing that occurred to me, and, and certainly on a rewatch, is the special effects are almost non-existent. Yeah, not much. No, I mean it's not a. I mean, it, it, you know, it, really basic stuff, and and even. You know, even kind of 25 years later or whatever, realizing that a lot of it's not going to hold up. But there's not really much there visually. This this is almost like – to me, it's almost like it was a novel as a movie. I mean you're watching characters. You're watching relationships. Um, It's a lot to me happening in my head. Yes, you get to see an alien planet and a few creatures and a couple of ships flying back and forth. But it's really all about – Relationships, so it's it's a little more cerebral than I think. Certainly, you know, Back to the Future and some of those other popular movies were. It's it's not going to be able to compete. Yeah. So he 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 did take the uh, Emmy for support best supporting actor and in, in, um, officer in general, but he, but he took a Saturn Award for his his role in Enemy Mind, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it was I mean, as you said. It's it's a it, it's a great character based movie. You know, you're watching relationships and discussions and kind of putting yourself in that uh, fish out of water kind of to a certain degree. Two enemies and and a language barrier and everything else to to see what kind of a relationship. You know, what what things would you be able to accept? Which other things would you have trouble getting over? And then certainly for the Dennis Quaid character. You know, being able to take that step of of another uh, life and being responsible for it. Uh, you know, it, it, us sci-fi folks tend to like some of these uh, stories that make you think and and put you emotionally in the moment. There, right. In fact, I would say that probably my least part favorite part of the movie was the opening sequence when they're fighting. It just doesn't do much for me. I didn't believe Quaid as that character when he's like laughing at shooting down the one Drake ship and all mm-hmm. that. But later on, I, in fact, my first impression, Kevin, you'll get kicked out of this. I, I was watching it and said, okay, uh, I'm kind of prejudging this movie right off the bat. I mean, they open that scene with the planets hanging in space and the planets look fake. 
They look like <laughs> yeah. they look like painted styrofoam balls that someone hung in their bedroom to make look like. <laughs> and, and, and again, not but it, you know it's not built around the effects. But once you get onto the planet, uh, granted, you have to suspend a little bit of disbelief that this is habitable air and they can they can exist. And where are they getting their food cl- from? And how are they making their clothing? There's a lot of stuff you have to kind of maybe su- suspend a little bit of disbelief in. But that's not really the point of the movie, right? It's you know. You're, you're 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 in a situation with whoever is your worst enemy, whoever you can imagine your worst enemy is, and but you need him, and they that person needs you to survive because you're in a harsh environment, you've got very little supplies to live, and can you move past you know old hatreds and prejudices, and uh, um, can your relationship go beyond just you know your your own, you know survival here. Right, and which I think they do. I think they beautifully do in this movie. Um, I I remember when I, I I got this on VHS, and then my parents were watching me watch it, and I guess my mother was thinking I just want another one of those sci-fi movies. But then she watched it with me, and she said, "This is actually, you know, this is better than I thought it was," because it you know had a you know a real substantive story to it. Right. Um, I mean, I don't know if we want to bring this up now, but would this movie, if this movie didn't go, was it? If this movie wasn't around '85, if it was done present day, would it have done better? I mean, just the story itself. I mean, obviously the special effects they could, you know, we could, they could do a better job on. But just just telling this story today would would this attract uh, viewers? Um, because I, I wonder if maybe now we like our. I don't want to say sci-fi wasn't deep back then, but maybe it's a little deeper than it is now. And maybe maybe it's a little more character driven now. Maybe we would have gravitated it more. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I, I think you would have had to update the movie a little bit uh, in it, like the, the effects and all that. I don't, Kevin. What do you think? Well, it's. I think it depends on the person and what they like in their storytelling. Um, there are some people that just can't get ba- past. Um, simple effects. And again, we're looking back 25 plus years, so I don't want to ding them for that. I mean, the effects were probably state of the art at the time, you know, put a put a sparkler on the back of a ship and call it a, a space thing flying through the air with a string. So um, I do follow though where Miles is going. I mean, I think I, I certainly, probably partially by getting older, am much more open to, to watching a character story that's going to slowly play out. I don't need to see Ooh, look, the shiny things exploding in my face. You know, I'm okay uh, watching some characters and relationships develop and being able to put myself in one of these characters' positions uh, more so than when I was younger. So, again, maybe with the Back to the Futures, some of the other things that were coming out in the mid-'80s that were really hanging their hat a little more on the on the fun craziness or, or some of the visuals, maybe this was a little bit uh, of a mismatch at that time. I, I don't know. It's a hell of a good question. I really can't say. I'd have to go looking at a whole list of you know eighty four, eighty five, eighty six movies to see if we had some other character based stories doing well in there, mm-hmm. right? You know, especially on the sci fi side, because I mean, at least nowadays, I think some of the sci fi fantasy is becoming a little more mainstream. But back in the mid eighties, was there enough of them out there? You know, obviously not, since they lost twenty plus million dollars on it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're looking at. The, the range is there in 1984. You have uh, The Search for Spock comes out in 84. 2010 is out in 84. Dune's out in 84. 1984 is out in 84. 
The Adventures of Buckeye Banzai is out in uh, 84. Starman's out in 84. So those are all predecessors to that. And then Cocoon is out. Back to the Future, like we said. Um, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, Enemy Mine, which you said. Aliens is out in 86. Star Trek The Voyage Home's out in 86. I mean, you've got several in that list that have got just major visual effects and big scale. Oh, yeah. this, this, I mean, this isn't anything like that. So, um, you know, maybe that's where it missed a lot of its audience was it just, you know. Because it's funny, I watched on the DVD that I had of this, I, w- I watched the theatrical trailer. Um, okay. And, you know, i got to say, even though I really like this movie, that trailer did not, like, make me want to jump up and go see this movie. It is it just doesn't nothing in the trailer or in the style of this movie is going to scream, "Ooh, got to see it." You know, if you don't enjoy watching good actors act, you're you're probably not going to want to see this movie. I mean, what's really going to be a draw here? And probably that trailer may have been one of the uh things that, you know, didn't bring people to the theaters to see this because it, it didn't, you know, show two really good actors at their best. I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have the internet, you don't have any way for for geeks to recommend something. Right. You're, you're back in those years. You're going on what what you maybe read in your local newspaper. Uh, maybe you saw it on TV, a TV critic, or or a trailer. I mean, that was everything. That was the TV trailers or the trailers you saw at the theater. I think to get you into a movie. Right. Well, here's let me just this maybe this plays into a little bit. Um, and this is according to Wikipedia, whatever that means. So just uh, that little <laughs> disclosure up there up yeah, front. Asterisk. <laughs> but, asterisk. But it says here when they talked about the release of it that the president of Fox was Mar- – it was Fox, by the way, that was doing this. So we won't make any comments there. Uh, marketing department felt that the film was an extremely difficult movie to market, that a story of two species evolving from enemies to friends made the science fiction picture less about technology used to film it and more along the lines of brotherhood. This was epitomized by the film's tagline, enemies because they were taught to be, allies because they had to be, brothers because they dared to be. Uh, the studio pushed a film with full marketing blitz on Sunday before Thanksgiving. A full-page advertisement ran in 43 of the largest newspapers in the U.S. Meanwhile, Fox arranged for a network roadblock. Three 30-second uh, television commercials ran virtually at the same time, primetime moment, on what was then three television networks. Um, they had a... Bunch of trailers were shipped to theaters, and and that was it. So it didn't really get a lot of promotion. Um, well, what they what he did say is that the poster uh, with the two leads staring at each other was singled out for failing to convey the warmth of the story. Hmm. Uh, the, well, yeah, I mean that photo does just look like it's a you know battle to the death kind of thing or something. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so and even I remember back. Well, I guess I remember it well, but back around this time, I, I, as I said, I was, you know, I was myself early twenties. I was going to a good amount of movies, and I don't remember this one. I really don't. Yeah. I don't so I don't think I saw it in the theaters. But most of those other ones you rattled off earlier yeah. saw almost all of those. Yeah. yeah. A marketing head so, in another studio called it one of the worst of the year. Really terrible. Uh, there was a way to make a movie out of much. Uh, uh, there was a way to make the movie much more palatable. So they just called it one of the worst. Um, posters of the year i guess it was so yeah so not a not a lot of love from no. <laughs> from and so uh but you know that being said you know we, we briefly started into the movie here talking about it and it is a it ends up being a endearing movie so much by the end by the, the events that transpire in this movie it's it almost it really does move you oh very much so uh, the storyline. Uh, this is my first. You, both you guys watched a movie before, right? 
Oh, yeah, I saw yes. it. Yeah. yeah. And this is my first time through the movie, and so I kind of had it, you know, as blank slate going into it. Didn't know what to expect. Didn't really do any research on the storyline, except that I knew that it was two enemies, and I had Kevin's warning about it being a little bit more cerebral than some of the other movies that we had rewound. Um, and it definitely was that. And you saw it, it wasn't just like, oh, well, we land on this planet together, let's be friends. I mean, they struggle through their friendship. Right. It didn't happen, which, which I thought they, they explored beautifully. I mean, um, He's, you know, he, he starts out trying to kill him. He, he started the job by shooting his, you know, Lu, you know, Jer, Louis Gossett Jr.'s character, calls him Jerry, shoots shoots, shoots his fighter plane, and, and he tries to finish the job, but then he ends up his prisoner, but um, they have to sort of team up together to survive. But it's not, you know, they're taking pot shots at each other, and uh, um, I, I love it. The Mickey Mouse thing, where uh, <laughs> yeah, um, he's um, if, 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 you know if, if first you don't succeed, try again, and and Jerry asks, who, who, you know, who said that? He goes, Mickey Mouse, and that's better. You know, while you're having such a good time and doing nothing, I am trying to think of ways to improve our situation. Okay, you know the old saying: if at first you don't succeed. Try, try again. Dawish, you learned this from great Drek teacher, Chisma. No, from Mickey Mouse. Who? Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. And then when they get in an argument, he goes, Mickey Mouse is a big dope. And right. I love that scene where uh, <laughs> there's quite, he can't, you know. He just has to walk away and laugh it off because it's just so ridiculous. Right, right. No, and it's funny, thinking about the memory of going back to watch it, which has been probably well over 10 years for me, probably even a little more. Um, the stuff that stuck in my head was like the first half of the movie. Most of the second half, um, it didn't really resonate with me. It didn't really stick. Not that it's poorly done, not that it wasn't bad, but it, it's that first opening bits, it's the it's the, them getting to know each other, fighting, arguing, trying to communicate, um, you know, Dennis Quaid just trying to be patient, and then when he gets emotional, whether it's about Mickey Mouse or whatever else, just losing it and trying to literally, you know, strangle him, but then realizing you can't. I mean, that's the part that from a story point of view, you really appreciate watching two good actors, and I do think Dennis Quaid is a very good actor. Uh trying to deal with that situation. And, and I, it really, because it was different in that sense, I mean, I appreciate it more the older I get. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned kind of that, that quote. There are, there are some really nice quotes to come out of this movie. Right. Uh, that kind of stand out. Um, they, kind of, they kind of hint, you know, you know, when you get to know your enemy, that there's many times these common truths in, in religion. Bulvo da lubo. Translate. If one receives evil from another, let one not do evil in return. Rather, let him extend love to the enemy that love might unite them I've heard all this before in the human Talmud of course you have truth is truth which is kind of a neat thing you know that you know we are not that different 
uh, spiritually or at least in our truths and what we value. Oh, I mean, it's a, the movie is a wonderful, um, uh, what do you want to say, training ground or, or eye-opening experience to the whole concept of uh, uh, accepting people for who they are instead of right. what they are. Right. Um, <clears throat> up and down, whether it's it's different countries, uh, different religions, uh, different races, you name it. This is a perfect example of how to, to look at that and think about it. So, I mean, it's a it's a social commentary regardless of the time period. Right. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it's got some great stuff that you could really make for some good conversations. Certainly a uh, uh, younger audience, uh, you know, high school or, or anything in there to be able to teach people, you know, how what defines who you are as a person and how you accept other people. I like what you said there, Kevin, about being a social. I mean, this is where sci-fi is at its best when it is doing a social commentary. And I, I mean, we'll, we'll say this to death: is I mean, this movie's underrated because because it does this in, in such a beautiful way. It's just um, right appreciating you know for who you are. Yeah, well, you know, it makes. It's, it, I mean, we talk about social commentary. This this really, in some ways, feels like a Star Trek episode. Like I think of the the whole, uh, and I don't mean to make any illusion here, but you know, Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation, when Picard is stranded on the planet with that one uh, creature that he can't speak to, and they speak in riddles or fables. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what you know what type of something? Darmok, I think. Yeah, yeah. Darmok. Mm-hmm. Hey, same same type of story. Mm-hmm. They're enemies, and they got to learn to kind of exist together, or communicate. They they've done something like that where where Geordi is trapped on a planet with a Romulan and. They're dependent upon. I mean, you know, Jordy has to use his prosthetic to see, and because of the the planet, eventually that fails him, and then he has, you know, the Romulan has to help him. You know, he's the techno guru, so, but he, you know, he can't see. So it's another where they are dependent upon each other to, you know, to, to get out of this situation. Right. Oh heck, you can you can even go back to the original series in that that episode with uh, Frank Gorsh and. Oh, yeah. And the black and white guy versus the white and black guy, and the whole idea of hating each other since birth, and learning to try to to get along. Because again, it's it it this movie also does the whole aspect, and it doesn't do it. Maybe I think it would be better if it did a little bit more. But as you said, the early scenes of of watching the you know cowboys almost approach to to uh, you know talk about the, the to dehumanize or desensitize you to the enemy. You know, you're not killing a being. Or, or a, a living entity, you're killing the enemy, and they're somehow below you, and they're not as good as you, and all that that you have to do to maybe deal in a situation like that. And then when the total uh, rug gets pulled out from under you, and you have no choice but to to find a way to survive with this person or other entity, you've got to realize that you can't just have that predisposed idea of the, them versus us. Um, hmm. I mean, that goes back, you know, thousands of years for for how people deal with people. So, you know, like we were saying, Miles, the whole social commentary aspect of sci-fi, it, this is where it excels. But I don't think that's something that's going to draw a big box office in to see it. No. Not not in 85. But I wonder, if, like I, we talked about, would it have done better if, if they, you know, if they didn't make the movie back in 85, but if they made it in 2011? We've now had TV shows like, you know, Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, um, we even go to Babylon Five, where it was a little more, a little more character-driven, maybe a little more substantive. Maybe they would have had to do a better, 
you know, movie trailer. But um, I wonder if, if if that would have drawn people. I remember when when the fire when Serenity the movie was out um, and, and reading an article. Um, and 05 was not a good year for movies. It was the year that the last Star Wars movie came out. I mean, um, Revenge of the, the Sith did well more of a box office, but this and this this writer in this this article said Serenity was a better movie, though. Um, so I wonder. I, so I, I mean, I think it would, I think it might do better if, if they would have did this movie. You know, now it would have, might, might have did a little better because yeah. because we appreciate. I, yeah, I don't know. I want. I, I would love to say yes and mm-hmm. one one side of things, but I think there's two factors. You have to think of, you know, what what sci-fi that what what sci-fi out there is really, you know, really taking the box office, mm-hmm. and it's not. It's still not movies like this. It's still it's still movies like Captain America, Thor. If you consider them sci-fi movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's still. You know, it's it's you know it's it's, it's movies that are other than the deep. Re- I mean, it's Transformers three mm-hmm. that you know it's Harry Potter, and while all of those have different merits in their own right, they are not like real deep cerebral movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you look at the Harry Potter story as a whole, maybe, but um, they aren't they aren't deep. And, and I think the second the second thing is you, you, it, people are really still drawn to these. Uh, I just don't know. I just don't know that this movie would do well now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a case, though, is if they, if they had found a way to make this on a smaller budget. I mean, I know they had lots of production issues and lots of reshoots and director issues, which pushed some of the costs way up. Um, this is the kind of movie that if done on a nice frugal budget in today's environment where you can make a lot more money in the DVD market and the after uh, – theater market you've got a chance of making this at least be something that's self-sustaining you know right, it at least right. pays for itself right um this, this this back in 85 in the late 80s when you know vhs was just kind of starting to take off and rentals again this this is not even a tape sitting on the shelf that just screams rent me you know i mean <laughs> you, you had people looking for a little more visual satisfaction or just an incredibly deep story which although this is a good story it's not a really deep one i mean you within the first 15 minutes you probably know what's going to happen um it's not going to throw many twists and turns at you yeah so yeah it, and it's you know it's a um it's a yeah i, I kind of agree with you there kevin and I think that you know you have green screen today. They could have done a lot of that on, and it wouldn't have. I mean, they build their own man-made lakes when they did that. Mm-hmm. They did, they build a lot of this stuff, and even, so even the space station. I don't know what they built that, but that was still fairly elaborate. I mean, it was, it was oh yeah, it was pretty big that for, space a, for some fairly short time on it for not a lot of screen time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did any of you guys think about the when you first see the ships in the beginning, the logo for? The the BTA or the the, the bilateral Terran allowance. Did anyone think of BSG's logo? Uh, no, I didn't. It reminds me just the way I think it's the way it's written a little bit in that. And even when you have BSG and you have BTA, that's not that far of a reach. No, <laughs> that they're kind of building on this. In fact, someone was mentioning in one of the um, news forums was reading that they thought that this uh, that this enemy mine was ripped off of an episode of a uh, Battlestar 1980s Battlestar Galactica episode they they did revit they did kind of do that yeah there was an episode where starbuck crash lands on a planet and there's there's a couple cylons on there and um he is lonely and so he fixes one of them and um and so they sort of explore his 
you know, you know, him and the Cylon getting along. Right. So, but I mean, I don't know how much merit there is to that. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is, but. Well, I mean, this, this concept is, you know, ages old. I mean, we've right. seen it in lots and lots of places, but funny talking about the look or, or what it reminded you of, I, I couldn't help, but on a couple of the scenes of them on the planet, um, like when there was that little turtle type creature that Dennis Quaid, you know, right. that, uh, uh, you know, Will was chasing after, which looked like it was just on a string being pulled very fast. Hmm. Um, it looked so fake. It reminded me of like a Star Trek original series thing. Okay. I mean, I expected that, you know, if you touched one of the trees, they'd tip over and you'd see the wood underneath holding, you know, the cross platform that they used to sit. So, and I, but I didn't ding it for that. It's just saying it gave me that feel. But then again, to me, that's a good thing because that reminds me back of where it's all about the story. It's all about the story. It doesn't, you know, special effects don't really matter. Um, you know, like we said, we're going to have uh, a theme in here or, something that's going to be more important than the actual words that are coming out. It's trying to teach us something. Right, right. So, you know, when looked at that way, and I think definitely when looked at in a rewatch or two, maybe especially for you, Scott, in a few years when you come back to it, again, I, I really appreciated, like I told you, it was all about the Louis Gossett Jr. and Dennis Quaid scenes. I mean, that's what stuck in my head 10, 15 years later was that first half of the movie. It's just the other parts were, were fine, but that's not what I remember. When someone says enemy mind, that's what I think about is, is some of those great discussions, whether it's Mickey Mouse or uh, trying to teach him the, the Drac language, uh, his little Drac Bible, whatever we want to call it and all that, that those concepts are what stick with me. Right. Um, well, uh, you know, this is not a mu- – we often will talk about movies and talk about the musical score. This is not one where the score stood out to me. Kind of, I didn't ever notice it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of forget. I mean, there was a score there, obviously, but it is. It's just kind of a forgettable. It does what it needs to. I mean, yeah, it functions. It helps build the movie, but not. There's not. There isn't a lot. I mean, they probably didn't sell many, you know, soundtracks uh, at the stores. If there's even one available, I don't know. No, they, apparently they put one out, or there's one associated with it. But whatever. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, well, and special effects again are almost non-negligible. Any other parts of the movie that kind of stood out to you, or anything that you want to talk about specifically about the movie? Well, did those? Um, I want to call them banthas. Those uh, those creatures in the, when that tentacle went out, that looked like you know. Yeah. This, this is gonna be a little critical. You know, that looked like it was ripped off from uh, Return of the Jedi. You know, the, the banthas, uh, not, not the banthas, but the sarlacc. The sarlacc. Yeah, yeah, the sarlaccs, Yeah. And they did it much better with the Sarlacc. Yes, yes, they did. Even, <laughs> even the original, you know, even without Lucas going ahead, you know, and uh, you know, putting a beak on the end of it. I mean, uh, um, yeah, yeah. And the I, thing that I go ahead. The thing that I thought of that I actually wish there was more of because they did a little bit in the beginning was the voiceovers from Dennis Quaid, kind of walking us through early on what was kind of happening. I think if that had kind of lasted throughout it a little more, that might have been a better balance for me. It seemed like they used that quite a bit early and then totally dropped it. Right. Right. If they had brought that back in every so often. Felt- yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit at the end too, but I, I thought if there was a couple more of those, you know, towards the middle scenes when they were, when they were getting to know each other well, but still having some issues, I, I don't know. It just seemed like if you're going to, for me, voiceovers work or if they're going to work well, they work throughout. So you use them as an anchor to kind of see the progress. And it's like, we kind of used that early because we had to, do lots of explaining, and then we stopped it completely. Right. Uh, I, I love, you know, um, there, there are a couple other quotes that I really liked, too, that were 
that really worked well for me. The I, I love that one quote where Davidge is saying, "Where would you be without me?" And Jerry's back home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of one of the humorous part. This there again, not there's not a ton of humor in this movie, but there is some. Uh, another one is they have this whole idea about you know who's uglier. And Davidge, you know, saves Jerry saves Davidge from the sand monster that we were just talking about. And he goes, You saved my life, why? And Jerry said, Maybe I need to look at another face, even one as ugly as yours. So you still think humans are ugly. Jerry goes, Compared to the Drac, very ugly. But the thing out there is even more ugly than you. <laughs> um, you know, but you know, kind of puts in perspective. But some great there are some really there are some really good quotes mm-hmm. in this movie that really kind of shine in and show light in the human condition and you know what it is to interact with your enemies which again is really the point of this whole movie mm-hmm. and i think but i think even more than interacting with your enemies is the whole uh, thought process of what constitutes an enemy right you know we're so conditioned in our lives growing up whether it's from our parents or, or our society or, or our upbringing to to have this whole class system or us versus them that you know, this does a good job of making you step back, especially once uh, once the child is born. And now yeah. Dennis Quaid has got to play, you know, uh, surrogate dad or uncle or whatever. Uh, I mean, think about that. How in the heck would you possibly try to describe what someone is when they're physically different than you? Right. I mean, how would you do that? It's hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, we can have fun talking about it, certainly, Scott, talking about being a parent and even starting to deal with that as you have a child growing up when they ask that all those questions. You know, why is the sky blue and so forth. So, you know. Trying to do that when you're talking about a completely different race is is quite a mind bender for anyone who's had to try to do this with people. Well, you know, and, and I was just going to say that this really does transcend not just you know other cultures or other countries. You're talking about this deals with race relations, this deals with prejudices that we have mm-hmm. that, that that we make assumptions about people based on what we know and when you yeah, how they look. Different. Yeah, but, my my daughter. This made me th- one of the scenes in there. The scene where the young Zamis is set, you know, saying how much he wants to be like uh, Dennis Quaid's character, you know, David, uh, David, you know, wants to be like him. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish that I was like you, had a face like you, fingers like you at that one scene. Uh, I think of that, you know, we adopted a beautiful girl from Haiti uh, who has struggled at times. You know, she's growing up in an all-white home in a, in a pretty much predominantly white community where we live. And that's difficult for her. And she, you know, she has the same sentiments. And I understand that just from that. That scene kind of really resonated just because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that this is a struggle for him. You know, wanting to connect with her own kind, wanting to be around people with the own kind. But, you know, you can understand why he runs off at that one point. He wants to, he wants to be near his people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that I'm saying yeah, my daughter's going to run off. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but certainly at, at those earlier ages, it's that whole dichotomy of you want to you want to fit in you want to be like everyone else but you also want to be unique and and at a younger age it's so hard to find that balance that confidence in, in being in your own skin and who you are so it's, it's interesting as you get older or when you are older watching someone try to deal with that whether it's like you said in your case scott with your daughter or an alien race on an alien planet i mean how do you find that balance oh yeah um, it's it's a, next to impossible. So that's the part that resonates for years and years, certainly with many of us who enjoy this movie. But uh, as we've said, and we always have fun picking on you know U.S. TV viewers. Again, people like to zone out. You know, you can watch right. Back to the Future and just go, you know, laugh and go, oh, that's totally silly. Right. But uh, put them in a theater seat for an hour and forty minutes with this. You're, aside from chuckling at a couple funny lines, is you know you're going to be 
you know, scratching your head and hurting your brain. Right, right. You got right. to work a little harder, I mean, thinking-wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else you want to say about this movie before we get into some listener feedback? Um, I got a couple there, – there's, there's – I was telling you, um, you remember the, you know, the guy, uh, Kevin. The guy's name is Brian Jones. Um, I guess through the 70s and 80s and early 90s, he always played a bad guy. Uh, the heavy. Um, yes. I didn't know he passed away back in the late 90s, but um, I just saw some interesting quotes of his on his IMDb page. Um, Are you talking about Brian James? Brian, Brian James, yeah. Uh, or, well, I've, I've let some Jones. Yeah. But um, he's a guy from, he was in Blade Runner. He's a guy from Blade Runner, Fifth Element. Yep. He did some pretty big sci fi movies. Yeah, he was. Yes, he has. He's very recognizable. <laughs> very yeah. recognizable guy. But uh, he had some interesting quotes. It doesn't really have anything to do with. Uh, um, and be mine, but I thought they were still interesting. Um, he, he says of um, he, he, he had he had more um, more footage in Total Recall um, about being cut down. Uh, came out a week before another forty eight hours that summer. It made twenty five million. The studio panicked. My stuff was there and there until one week before the film opened. They cut twenty five minutes out of the movie a week before it opened, and it went from around one hundred forty down to ninety five minutes. They said cut all the behavior, action, comedy. Done. I lost every major scene I had. That's the last time I ever uh, cared about a movie because I went to the press screening and I was like uh, getting kicked in the, in the stomach. Seeing what's not there, I, I'm the third lead and I looked like a, like a dress extra. All the stuff that they had uh, set up, stuff in the trailer, all the scenes were gone. Um, so I wonder if um, if we ever watch Total Recall, if we can, if there's a, if there's a, a longer version. Um, but he, but he talks about his his time on um, Blade Runner. Uh, three months in Detroit, which was uh, where we were, uh, Murder City. I was really sick. I was doing a lot of drugs. I told uh, Sam uh, Raimi, uh, "Put me on, but but don't but don't say cut. Let me go." He did, and I went and basically and uh, had the show at that point, which came after Blade Runner in '82. They put me in on a blacklist because I wouldn't be in the union. And when I came up before that, they said you can't do the movie. The movie. They said we've got to have uh, Brian James. They said no, he's uh, not working for us. Finally, they said, look, he's the only guy we want. They said, fine, you can have him, but we're not going to pay our, pay our part. So they paid their part. I worked like 10 weeks for $2,500. Uh, you know what they say, don't make waves. So I learned my lesson. Yeah. So. Well, he's been, he's been in yeah, – this, guy, this guy's had a huge film career. He, he has. Duke's um, a Hazard. He was in Millennium. He was in uh, Roots, you know, the, the big TV series of the late 70s on mm-hmm. slavery and – Tango and Cash. I mean, there's a lot of big, big ones. But yeah, when you see this guy, you recognize him. He's just a very like, like, like I think Kevin said, a very recognizable face. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, been very a lot of iconic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Especially several of those that like we said well-known sci-fi movies just make him stick right in your memory. Mm-hmm. Especially sci-fi fans. Mm-hmm. Any other parts oh, you yeah. want to talk about, Kevin? Uh, just skimming through my notes. No, I mean, it's it's funny. The one thing I found interesting, too, is that uh, several of the other movies we've covered, you know, I, I've taken, and I'm one of those types who does take, who tends to take lots of notes when I'm watching a movie, especially when I don't know when to discuss it. But I found myself with this one with very little because I was Absolutely. just letting it happen, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and appreciating the, the discussions they were having. It real, I realized it really wasn't that important some of the detail of what was going on so right no I, I think we covered it pretty good and it was just it was interesting how different it was obviously than something like the matrix trilogy that we were looking at before you know right mm-hmm. right well uh should we get into some listener feedback let's do it 
So these are some emails that came in, and this one came in from Colin in England, and he writes and says this. Miles, do you want to read this? Sure. Sure. Uh, hello, one and all. Well, that was a bit three musketeers in the opening on your case, the three amigos. Do you know what he's talking about? Did we have like a weird opening the last time we did the sci-fi rewind? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> we were trying to remember this. I don't this. know. <laughs> we, we were trying to remember this, and you know, we can't. But anyways, go on. Anyway, as an opening statement, I would like to say I think it's an absolute travesty that uh, Blade Runner never won. But it, it, but as it is, it's in the list. I hope you get to it eventually. Can't wait for the uh, Equilibrium show. That's a love or love it or hate it film. So any mind, an exploration of prejudice and racial stereotypes, the fact that one actor is black and one is white, I'm sure is not lost on the viewer. We didn't even talk about that. No, we didn't at all. We uh, briefly. Well, because he's completely in makeup. You don't even know that. Right. <laughs> right. But uh, Lou and Dennis are, were we're both well cast, though. They work well together. And Dennis especially turns in a good performance. The weak leak in this film was the sets. Someone got really carried away with the uh, uh, polystyrene uh, in this. Kirk would have been proud. I like the curveball. <laughs> See? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It would have worked on well in original series Trek. I like the curveball they threw in with the Drac being pregnant. But the aging thing as a plot point was a bit contrived, forcing the human to have to face his own shortcomings through the fact that he is now a foster parent was a good idea. It enabled uh, the exploration of racism to be done via a different medium, one that has uh, been since since copied a lot. But imitation is a form of flattery. The film does get bogged down, and you, you'll get be disappointed if you're experiencing a sci-fi action war film, but you are rooting for the hero in the end, as you should. Some parts of the film effects have not aged well, but the reptile makeup is good. Re- reptile makeup is good. For the time, it was exceptional, and I wonder if it won any awards. So a good exploration of bigotry and racism with okay effects and sets, good acting, and a nice ending, not as bad as I feared. Live long on podcast, Colin. Sounds like that was the first time that he was watching that. That might be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, based on the comments there, and, and definitely Colin and I have the same mind as far as original TOS sets. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Um, yeah, and, and again, like you said, Kevin, it's not a sci-fi action war. It's a, it's a film that you do get into uh, the, uh, the it's a cerebral film, and you kind of root for the hero at the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I agree. You know the, the makeup the makeup, the makeup, makeup really worked for the alien. Uh, his lips sometimes got a bit weird for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I wanted to tear apart his makeup, but overall, I thought the outfit worked. Yeah, I I'd love to. I mean, I'm how, how, how did how did Louis Gossett Jr. cope with being in? I mean, that makeup and prosthetics. So <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, I couldn't have been easier. Yeah. Uh, anything else commenting on what he uh, said? Uh, no, I think. But again, we didn't. We were right. We didn't talk about the fact that you know the black and white actors. I'm sure was intentional as well. It, it probably was, but it didn't need to be. It could have been. Uh, I mean, where it was strong was that you know we had two two good actors in there that made you believe they they really hate each other at first. Yeah, uh, it could yeah. have been you know two black guys or two white guys or or whatever race you want to throw in there. Right. But uh, having it be an alien and having this age old war was 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 enough to make you believe you know right. these guys had a long lived uh, hate. Yeah. Uh, Mike Crate wrote in, and he actually wrote in about Stargate. So this is a reflection of the last rewind we did, and he says this. Uh, good show, guys. Still interesting to see how the movie is reflected in the TV series, despite being a separate entity. I can certainly see issues with Raw, maybe lacking in the menace department, but I think he took control of these people when they were little more than ignorant tribe folk, and obedience became built in. 
Jay, uh, Jay certainly is an unusual actor, but true to himself, it seems. Uh, and I think he's referring to, I put that one clip of the uh, entertainment mm-hmm. uh, weekly uh, video interview with him in it. And you could tell just a little bit of himself in there. Yeah, that, you definitely could, definitely got that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. any uh, any comments on that, Kevin? Uh, I, it, as always, Mike's got a good handle on things, so no, I, I follow where he's coming from there. You know, we t- talked about that I think a little bit too, in the fact of if if the TV series had or any of the TV series really had not commenced, and you go back and just look at that movie, it, it's not a real big bad. I mean, it's more of a plot device of what he was, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that does it. That's about it. Unless you guys have anything else. No, I I, I enjoyed watching Enemy Mind again. Yep, it was a good watch again, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that'll take us into li- equilibrium for uh, the next next month. Yeah, that should that should be an interesting one too. Like like uh, you were mentioning uh, uh, from some comments from folks, there's some folks who were like, "Oh, that's a cool one too." Really? You're going to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but obviously, did, uh, number two of the poll, so must be a lot of folks who uh, consider it uh, certainly discussion-worthy. Yeah, let the people speak, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so. <laughs> All right, well, I think that about does it. And again, you know, middle of October, be aiming to get your comments in on it, and we'll try to be mentioning on uh, Twitter and Facebook when we set those dates and on the forums. And But we always welcome your comments, and you can contact at any of the places that we exist. Tuning to sci-fi TV.com, sci-fi diner podcast.com, our Twitter handles, and Facebooks, and everything else that you want to contact us in. I believe that is about it, so I guess that's it. Until next time, good night and good luck. And so Davich brought Xanus and the Drax home. He fulfilled his vow and recited the line of Zamus' forefathers before the Holy Council on Dracul. Samus brought its own child before the Holy Council. The name of Willis Davidge was added to the line of Jeriba.